Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, if you could find your place in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. We're continuing on our study through the Gospel of Matthew. As you're finding your place, let me just say a few words of introduction. In his book, Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer wrote this sentence. and I read it. It's probably been 20 years ago, and it's really stuck with me. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I, I believe that that principle goes double when we're thinking about who Jesus is. David Platt adds, Who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow Him. And the interesting thing about this whole line of questioning is this. The Bible gives us a very clear picture of who the real Jesus is. And we don't have the luxury of, of changing the truth just to suit our own personal preferences. Jesus is who the Bible says He is, who He revealed Himself to be when He was here on this earth. We don't get to play with that. We, we try to do that a lot. Sometimes we don't mean to. Maybe we don't intend to. We, we don't set out with that as our goal. But that's what happens. Practically speaking, if you ever hear this type of phrase, see if you've ever heard this. Well, you know, I just feel like God is... Or I think God is like... And fill in the blank. I, I'm on, this might hurt your feelings, and if it does, I'm... Not sorry. It doesn't matter who I think God is. It don't matter how I think God relates to me. God is who He is. Christ is who He says He is. The Word of God dis it displays that for us. There's nothing we can do to change that. And if it hurts our feelings or cramps our style or doesn't line up with our plans and purposes that we've come up with, that's just too bad. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. There's not another one like Him and never will be. And the Bible shows us that clearly. So today, the title of the message is real simply straight from verse 15. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Let me read today's passage, Matthew 16. I'll start in verse 13, go to verse 20. The words are on the screen if you'd like to follow along or you can follow in your own uh, personal Bible. Here's what the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to record for us. Verse 13, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, 
but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Father, in Jesus' name I pray that you will open up our ears, our minds, our hearts. Help us to understand the word before us today. And then help us to do what you tell us to do. Lord, I pray that you will guard my words. Help me to be faithful to your scriptures. And Lord, I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. You are my God and my Redeemer. My rock on which I stand. Help us today, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a simple question, really. What do you think about Jesus? Who do you say He is? Not who is He to you. Not what's He like. What are His characteristics. Who is He? Who is Jesus? And, and really, why does that matter? Why is that such a, a big deal? Well, hopefully that you're, you're remembering right now a couple of the things I said in the introduction about uh, the words that A.W. Tozer wrote what David Platt wrote in his commentary on Matthew. Whatever we're thinking when we're thinking about Jesus plays a a crucial part in how we live, how we um, process things that are going on in the world and in our lives. It makes a difference. It makes a big difference. Fortunately for us in this text... God has has painted a a clear picture for us, and and it's a brief text, it's it's not very long, but it's packed with some profound truth that I believe will will help us formulate our our perspective in a way that is faithful to Scripture and ultimately helpful to us, and and here's here's what the Scripture tells us. Number one, Jesus is God's Messiah. Plain and simple. Jesus is God's Messiah. From the first verse we read, verse 13, down to verse 17, you see a couple of questions, a couple of answers, and it's a conversation that Jesus is having with His twelve, with His disciples. They've left where they were. They've come into this area of Caesarea Philippi. And He's asking some questions. And the first one's a little more general. What are you hearing? What are people saying? Who do people think I am? And so look at the answers. Some, they said, 
think you're John the Baptist. If you recall, Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life because he was, he was mad because remember John the Baptist gave him all kind of grief. He said, you shouldn't have married your brother's wife. That's not right. You shouldn't have done that. And so he had John killed at the request of his stepdaughter and uh, his stepdaughter at that festival. And, and so then he thought, well, since I did all that, this is probably John the Baptist come back to get me. Some thought that. Others thought he was Elijah. Go to the book of Malachi. You'll hear and read some things about Elijah coming to prepare. You know, be, he'll, he'll appear before the coming of the, the day of the Lord. And if you go back in Matthew and, and read in Matthew 11, you'll see that Jesus says John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. He, he's already here. I'm here. You, know, you missed it. Here I am. Still others. Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Well, what do all these people have in common? All who they thought Jesus was. They're all dead. Right? They're all dead guys. People don't even consider the possibility of Jesus being exactly who He says He is. And all the prophecies fulfilled in one man. You ever, you ever studied that? You, you, can, you could even do, you don't even have to go to some, what I would say are some super reliable sources. I, I've got plenty of books in my library I could point you to and show you uh, prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled just all the prophecies from the Old Testament that point to who the Messiah is going to be, and Jesus fulfills every single one of them. But you could do a Google search, and, and you could find it. They did, but yet, they didn't even consider that as a possibility, that maybe he, maybe he really is the Messiah. Like, no, it can't be that. So it must be one of these other folks who are already dead and gone. This is going to be interesting I want, to, I want to plant this uh, theological term in your minds. You may not know what it means exactly. I'll explain it in a minute. But I want to just say it so you can be thinking about it. Here's the word. Syncretism. Syncretism. It's a terrible thing, but I'll tell you about it in just a minute. I just want to throw it out there. Syncretism. These people don't know who Jesus is. That's the ultimate reality. So Jesus asked, Who do people say I am? John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. What's the answer? We don't know. They don't know who he is. So now let's get a little bit more personal. Jesus looks at his twelve that he chose, his followers, his closest group. What about you? Who do you say I am? Now that's a little bit more important, right? They're following him. I mean, we're more than halfway through Matthew's Gospel. Some time has elapsed. Stuff has happened. Events have taken place. Miracles have occurred. Jesus has proven over and over and over again who He is, not only by His teaching, by His lifestyle, but by His actions. He has shown who He is. So it, maybe not to the masses, but at least to those twelve, there ought not to be any, any doubt at this point, right? Ought not to be. But, but there is. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, Peter speaks up, and, and I should point out, this is a, a very important point. Peter is not on his own here. Peter is the spokesman 
for the twelve. So a lot of times we could read this and think, well, just Peter just kind of got out there on his own. and He's out on a limb. He's making that profession as if it's just him thinking that. He's not. He is speaking for the twelve when he says, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. So he doesn't say, well, we think, you see it? Look at it. Look at it in the Scriptures in verse 16. He doesn't say, we think you might be the one we're looking for. We're pretty sure, based on what we've experienced, we're pretty sure that you are the Messiah. He doesn't say that. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. There's no doubt. There's no stuttering. You are Him. You're the one. And He's speaking on behalf of the group. Now, there's several implications of this answer. First of all, Jesus is divine because if He's God's Messiah, He's God in the flesh. He's sent from heaven. Alright, so that's a, a huge, a huge truth that Peter is declaring when he answers the question. Also, Jesus is Son of the living God. Now, what's the implication of that word? Remember what everybody thought when they, you know, when they said, who do people think I am? And every one of them they listed was dead? Well, Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is the living God. And so when Peter says, you're the son of the living God, that's a statement right there. That's, that's a statement. You're not dead, you're alive. Our God is not dead, He's alive. In fact, they made a whole uh, movie series about it. God's not dead. Right? No kidding. He's the son of the living God as opposed to the dead gods of the people, the idols that they worship. Now, let me go back to this term I threw out there at you a minute ago. Syncretism. Here's what syncretism is. This is something that we do a lot. Uh, and I say we as in human culture. Here's what we're prone to do. Um, we sometimes can, people can sometimes treat spiritual things, religion, all this stuff like a buffet. Anybody like a buffet? It's okay. You can raise your hand, Cooper. Appreciate that, man. You're the only honest one in the bunch. Every, I mean, a lot of people like buffet, right? What if, and they're not open today, but what if Sheely's Barbecue was open today? Would that be all right? I mean, okay. What I'm saying is, there's something for everybody. There's a lot of options, right? Only problem is, when people treat their most important spiritual convictions like a buffet line, here's what we're doing. We are in the process of creating a God in our own image that fits our current lifestyle and our preferences that may or may not be in accordance with Scripture. So here's the buffet line of all the possibilities. Oh, I like that. I want some of that in my spiritual life. Eh, well, I don't really care for that. That might cause me to feel convicted about some stuff in my life. I'm going to leave that there. So I'm going to just take, pick and choose what I want on the spiritual buffet and call that my religion. Here's the only problem with that. You go straight to hell. I don't, I don't know a nicer way to say that. That's what happens. Because there's, there's one pathway to heaven. Anybody want to take a wild guess what it is? Jesus Christ. You follow Jesus, you follow His Word, you surrender to Him. What did Jesus pray in the garden? 
Not my will, your will be done. That, that has to be the, the constant refrain of our hearts, Lord. Not my will, your will be done. I, I know this makes me feel better, and this not so much, but it doesn't matter what I want, God. It matters what you want, because what you want is what I need. So, I cannot build a, a system of spiritual convictions and religious beliefs based on what I want. Well, let me take that back. I can. I can. And I might comfortably go straight to hell. You understand what I'm saying? There's one way to heaven. It's by kneeling and surrendering at the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There might be some less, uh, less imposing things during this life on earth. Maybe more convenient, less convicting. And, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of churches, and I, I don't want to say denominations. Maybe maybe not so much denominations, larger groups. But I know there are some churches who make um, make their living on trying to tell people just what they want to hear. I just want you to feel good about yourself. Everything's going to be wonderful. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be in good health, live a long life. Everything's, if you just come to Jesus, everything will be wonderful. Anybody got a problem with that? I do. Because it's a lie. It's a lie. I'm trying as hard as I can to follow Jesus. Things are not always good. Things are, are sometimes so difficult you don't even know what to do next. Does that mean Jesus has left me? Absolutely not. It means I just don't understand what the ultimate purpose is. I don't understand how this test is going to turn into a testimony. I just know it's going to. It's going to happen. And so when we take this term, syncretism, and we try to take multiple religious beliefs and form them into our own, we have just begun to worship an idol. And the idol looks a lot like us. Well, that makes me feel good. That doesn't hurt my feelings. The only problem is, that's not Jesus. There's only one Jesus, and we don't get to pick and choose His character. We don't get to pick and choose His Word. We don't get to pick and choose His commandments. We don't get to pick and choose what He desires out of His followers. We're going to see next week, uh, a parallel passage from Luke chapter 9 when Jesus says, if anybody wants to come after me, let me tell you what it's going to look like. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow me. That's what following Jesus looks like. It's not meant for comfort, but it is meant for holiness and salvation. And that's what Jesus is trying to drive home to His followers, His closest followers, His disciples. Michael Green wrote this, he said, uh, Syncretism, it's far more dangerous challenge to the Christian church than atheism is ever likely to be. 
You know why? Because it's in disguise. Atheism is just out there. I don't believe there's a God. I just don't believe. Syncretism says, oh yeah, I believe in God. And, and, and as, as luck would have it, He wants everything I want. Isn't that interesting? That's not what my Bible says. So Peter makes this statement on behalf of the twelve. He's son of Jonah, Peter bar Jonah. He's blessed by God through his confession on behalf of the disciples. And then look what Jesus says about his confession when you see what he has said in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, because... How did you come about this information? Nobody told you this. He says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My Father in heaven. That means if we're going to know the real Jesus, a spiritual influence and transaction has to take place. God in heaven has to convict you in your heart and your mind that you know who the real Jesus is. It's a spiritual work of the Holy Spirit of God. If, if, if you don't know who the real Jesus is, then I would be, begin praying that God would open up your heart and mind and show you because that is a spiritual influence and a spiritual invasion of your heart and mind. Because I'll tell you this, and if you read Romans chapter 1, it should become painfully obvious. There is no such thing as one of us just waking up one day and thinking, you know what, I think it's a good idea that I go follow Jesus. That's not in our DNA. We're not going to come to that conclusion on our own. That is a work of God Almighty to show you your need for a Savior. I didn't just wake up one morning and realize I needed rescue from my sin. That was a work of the Holy Spirit of God who convicted me of my sin and showed me my need for a Savior and introduced me to Jesus Christ. Because that's the only way we're, we're getting to heaven. I don't know how much more clear I can be. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus. Flesh and blood did not reveal Jesus' identity to Peter because no human being had that knowledge to give. God the Father who's in heaven revealed the truth to Peter. Nobody can pierce through to Jesus' identity because they're clever. It's given by God Himself. Jesus is God's Messiah and He's trying to make that perfectly clear that what has just happened in Peter here in this setting with Jesus and the Twelve is God gave him some information and He confessed it on behalf of the disciples. Jesus is God's Messiah. The second thing is this. The church is God's people. Now, you might look at that statement and think, well, okay, of course, no kidding. Of course the church is God's people. We've been knowing that forever. Alright, well let me show you some implications of what that means. Jesus, if you look in the text, verse 18, this is one of the most controversial, misunderstood parts of this gospel right here. And so I'm going to try to very quickly paint a clear picture for us so we can understand what the meaning behind it is and that will help us understand what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Jesus calls Simon Peter by the name of Petros, the Greek word Petros. Okay, you can hear Peter in there. It means a stone, a little stone. A little stone. Okay? Jesus declares that he will build his church upon the Petra. Different Greek word. Means a large rock, like a bedrock, like a foundational rock. You remember when Jesus said, Here's the, the wise 
builder that builds his house on the rock. So when the storm comes and the, the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it'll stand because it's built on the, the solid rock foundation. That's what we're talking about here. So this different Greek word, it's a play on words. almost like Jesus is doing a little pun there. Petra, Petros, two different words, means two different things. He didn't say, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you as some mainstream religious traditions believe. You might have heard that some, the Roman Catholic Church believes that Peter was the first pope. That's why they believe... Did you know that's why the Catholic Church thinks they have the authority they have? It's because they claim this term apostolic succession. Peter was the first pope, and so all our current pope traces back to him. Totally not true, but that's what they believe. If you want to know more about it, I can tell you later. Not right now. Long conversation, but I can show it to you. Jesus never said, Peter, I'm building my church on you. He said, I'm building my church on the fact that God Almighty just put in your heart to confess me as the Son of God. I'm the Messiah, and on your confession, the truth of who I am is the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ is God. So when he says Petra instead of Petros, he uses a different word to say, this is the bedrock of the church of the New Testament. I'm going to build my church on the fact that People will confess from now until eternity that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the truth. That's the foundation of the church. Jesus is Lord. And He is unopposed, unrivaled, undefeated. That's who Jesus is. That's the foundation of His church. And He proclaims that the powers of hell are going to be unable to hinder the mission of His church. Leon Morris said, whether or not we can understand all the detailed imagery, it's clear Jesus is giving His followers the assurance that nothing in this world or the next can overthrow the church. And and by the way, this might be a little side note. might have just been skipped over, but I want to point it out to you just so you'll see it. Look at verse 18. When Jesus says, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it, when you think of a gate, do you think of a, an offensive or a defensive structure? A gate. It, it seems like that's defensive, right? It's not like a gate's coming, coming at you, right? It's stationary. And, and it's, you know what that means? The church is supposed to be on the move, advancing, taking ground offensive. And when we come up on the gates of hell, they're not going to stop the church. Does that make sense? Get the picture in your mind. The gates of hell will not withstand the church of Jesus Christ. But that presupposes that the church is supposed to be advancing with the gospel. Because what's the foundation of the church again? It's the good confession that Peter made on behalf of the disciples that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That confession of truth, 
of who Jesus is is the foundation of God's church. And so that confession as it moves forward, as it is shared and propagated throughout the world, and more and more people come to confess Jesus as Lord, then the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the advance of the church. It's like, um, it's like the, the best military picture you can think of. The good guys are winning. The good guys are pressing forward, taking enemy ground, and they can't stop you. And by the way, if Jesus is your commanding general, they can't stop you. They got nothing for you. It's like you got a, you got a RPG and they got a water pistol. This church, this assembly, this, these called out ones, the ecclesia of God, the called out ones of God, which consists of all those who would confess Christ just as Peter has, it's, it's not going to stop. Do you feel like that? Just like in, in real life. Do, do you feel victorious like that? Or do you, do you feel more challenged, maybe more defeated when it comes to spiritual things? See, sometimes it's, it's tempting for us to look around and, and look at the circumstances in the world and maybe in our own lives and think, well, I, I know what the Bible says. I know... Uh, that Jesus says that that the gates of hell can't withstand the church, and I know I've read the rest of the New Testament. I get the Revelation, and you know, Jesus wins. I, I see that. It doesn't feel like we're winning, though. Let me point your attention back to a a moment in Peter's life, since we're talking about Peter, who makes the confession. You remember when Jesus called Peter out on the water? to walk to him? This is not new information. Remember, he was doing fine. Right? He was walking in victory as he was fixing his eyes on Jesus. You know when he started to sink? When he started looking around at the waves and feeling the wind, looking at his circumstances. Circumstances will lie to you. And Jesus never has. Jesus never lies. When He says you can walk in victory, He didn't stutter. Don't let your circumstances rob you of the joy of the victory Jesus has already paid for on the cross. He, he went through way too much for us to just just cower down and act like we're defeated when we're on the winning side. Jesus assured that. So many ways, but ultimately by His death and His resurrection. And so what, what does that purchase? What, what does Jesus give to Peter, the disciples, the church? What does He say, verse 19? I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. What does all that mean? Well, it means a few things. It means the church has authority over biblical matters. It means the church has authority over entrance into the kingdom of, of God. 
And it means the church has authority over behavior in the kingdom of God. Now, you might hear those three statements and think, okay, oh, I guess I get that. But what does that mean exactly? Well, just look at verse 19. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. What guards the entrance to heaven? Listen, are you listening? This is, this is so simple, but it's very important. Here's what guards the entrance to heaven. Have you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord? Isn't that what Peter did? As a spokesman for the disciples, he confessed, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And, and, and we're basing our lives on that truth. That's the foundation, Jesus said, of His church. So... The keys to the kingdom of heaven. Have you surrendered to Christ? Have you confessed Christ? Not only to yourself, but before men, before God. Have you confessed Jesus Christ is Lord of all? I heard a preacher say one time that if Jesus is not Lord of all, He may not be Lord at all. Are we holding some stuff back? Or have we handed Him everything? So entrance into the kingdom of God, it's not like we're, alright, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to let you in or not. You know, we're the church. So that's not what it means. It means we're trying to verify. Why do you think um, the church has things that we do when people want to come join the church? We don't just say, okay, you want to join the church? Come on. No, it's, are you, are, are you a believer? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you been baptized and publicly professed your faith in Christ as a testimony? That's why we do that. Because the foundation of the church is the confession of Jesus. So that's the entrance into the kingdom of God. What about behavior? When, in verse 19, when, when uh, Jesus says, if you bind something or you lose something... In other words, understand the language this way. If you allow something or you forbid something, based on Scripture alone, Scripture alone, but, but there has to be some um, gatekeeper, so to speak. H- how does that happen? You, you ever, we're going to get to it in a couple chapters. Matthew 18. We're going to get to a section where Jesus ta- teaches us about church discipline. And, and everybody sees that as such a bad thing. Church discipline. Well, who are you to tell me? Well, I'm not anybody. I'm just another sinner that was trying to help another sinner to follow Jesus. You know? Because, because when Jesus... Let me, let me tell you. When Jesus comes back for His church... What do you think He's looking for? Jesus is not coming back for some tattered, broken, careless, whatever. Jesus is coming back for a, a bride, a spotless, blameless, holy bride. Why do you think we pay attention to, to what we do, or we're supposed to, why do you think the, the Bible is filled with things to help us follow close to Jesus, say no to sin and yes to Him? Why is that such a prominent feature of God's Word? It's because 
we're, we're being prepared for entrance into heaven. That's what God's doing. And, and the church is the, the keeper of those things. He gave the church authority. Go uh, Some other time, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Start reading in about verse 7 all the way down to the end of the chapter. And you'll see that Jesus gave gifts to the church for the growth and maturity of believers. Human resources. Prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers so that God's people will grow up into the fullness of Christ. And so somebody's got to watch on that. That's what all that means. And then finally, in verse 20, he warns his disciples, you shouldn't tell anybody who I am prematurely. It's not like keep it a secret because I don't want anybody to know. It's, I've got a plan. It's going to be revealed. So just work with me. Let me do my thing. i got it under control. Right? That's kind of Jesus. That's my... Southern Jerusalem paraphrase, but you know that's that's what he's just basically saying. I got it handled. Just follow me. That's all you got to do. Just follow me. Follow me, and I'll take care of it. Jesus is God's Messiah. The church is God's people. All right, let's conclude. There's a couple of crucial points of personal application attached to this message. First and foremost, who do you say Jesus is today? Me and you, who do we say Jesus is? Do we truly understand the biblical Jesus or have we created Jesus in our own image? And Jesus reminded Peter and the rest of the disciples that His true identity is not something determined or deciphered by human ingenuity. It's a gift given to mankind by the Lord of heaven. Do we know who Jesus is? Second, Do we recognize the church for both its necessity and its authority? Jesus always intended for His disciples to do life together in community. He promised to build His church. He promised the ultimate success of His church. He delegated the recognition of genuine conversion as well as the enforcement of biblical standards to His church. And He gave particular human resources to His church to ensure the growth and the maturity of His children. So how do you view the church? How do you view Jesus? How do you view the church? The church is not... Listen very carefully. The church is not an option for a believer. The church is a necessity. And when I say that, I'm not saying that to say, well, you've got to check your boxes off. That is not at all what I mean. God is not looking at some master ledger and keeping your attendance record. Okay? It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the church is installed here on earth for our good. It's for our good. It was never meant to be a burden. It was never meant to be a plan B. It was always meant to be something that we just can't live without. Because it's so vital to our existence as a child of God. We need the church for our good. It's not about legalism, it's about our good. So no matter who you are, where you are today, 
there's at least two things I know for sure. Jesus wants you to know Him in a close, personal, life-changing way. And Jesus wants you to be a vital part of the church He built. The church He died for. He didn't give all these things to individuals. I mean, go look at the book of Acts. Go look at Peter, what he did in Acts chapter 2 and beyond. He stood up on behalf of the apostles and he preached so that people would get saved. And what does it say at the end of chapter 2 of Acts? The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. It's the church. It's building the church. Jesus is calling you to Himself today. He's calling you to a deeper connection with His church. And if you listen carefully, you're going to hear His voice. Crowd out the noise. Just remember this statement. I read it at the very beginning, and I want to read it one more time before we close. David Platt wrote in his commentary, Who you say Jesus is, will determine everything about how you follow Him. Do you know the real Jesus? There's only one. Often imitated, never duplicated. That's right. There's just, there's just one Jesus. Just one. Let's pray. on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.